The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations, by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource, by Black & Veatch, building a world of difference, by Can Do, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health, by Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services, by Intera, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow, and by Xylem, let's solve water. This is session 202. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. Today's show is, in a word, tremendous. Allison Watson, the CEO of Woodard & Curran, joins me and she explains why, in her perspective, a fresh approach is needed to contracting and she advocates for an outcome-based approach to contracting in the water sector. Allison absolutely crushes this interview, and you're going to gain tremendous insights from her perspectives and thoughts on how to improve service delivery in the water sector. She just um, she just does an amazing job, and you will really uh, gain a lot of appreciation for, for Allison and her, her perspectives on that. But before we get to that interview, we begin with a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, Can Do, Woodard and Curran, Intera, and Xylem. And I'd like for you to do me a favor, please. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your boss, thank your contact at that sponsor firm, and let them know that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You would be surprised how far that simple note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It would be greatly appreciated and, of course, helps others find out about the podcast. Now it's time for our featured guest, Allison Watson. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Allison, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So great to have you on. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's terrific for you to for you to come on. For those of you uh, out in the audience who may not know Allison, Allison, could you give us uh, kind of just a thumbnail on your background and how you came to the water sector? Sure. Um, well, going way back, I grew up in New Hampshire, um, and my dad was the director of water supply um, for the local community where I lived. So I was sort of a water brat. I grew up going to the water treatment plant. That was his office. And, you know, ultimately he retired as the director of the waterworks there. But I grew up with this real appreciation for the critical importance of water in the environment as, you know, absolutely essential to a high quality of life and found my way into the water field. Um, I've, you know, I'm on the consulting side. I am the CEO of Watered and Curran um, and we do everything from science and engineering through operations and construction, but very focused on water and the environment. That's awesome. I, I love the term water brat. It, it, <laughs> did, did you just come up with that or is that something you've, you've, you've used elsewhere? Uh, I, I think I just came up with that. So thank <laughs> It's amazing how uh, influential our parents can be. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an attorney in my, my 
father was an attorney and uh, I always grew up thinking I'm never going to be one. And here I am as an attorney. So it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, what, what type of influence our, our parents have on us. Uh, but I, I, again, I thank you so much for being, uh, making time to, to chat today. Cause I think we're going to talk about something that's pretty important, uh, which, uh, you know, it kind of, it's, it's kind of taken a, a fresh approach to, uh, the relationship and in terms of how projects are done. So in terms of, of where Woodard and Current sits in the industry, you have a, a unique perch in the industry. And I, I want to make sure we take full advantage of, of the time you're spending with us. So could you give us a little perspective on how you see the relationship between uh, the project the project owner and kind of the engineering firms that's, that's going to be delivering the project. Sure. Um, absolutely. This is um, an area where I, I just think there's so much potential for us to do things a bit differently and really scale the impact that we have. You know, what I, one of the things I love about this industry is the people who work in water and the environment are just so motivated to do, to do good and to improve the, the world. I just have not come across people um, in other industries that are just motivated that way. And, you know, the way we're structured right now, generally as an industry, when we approach projects, um, particularly in the public sector, um, our clients in the public sector who are water utilities or wastewater utilities or, you know, what have you, typically are, you know, public health professionals. And that's their number one charge is to provide um, a service and to protect public health. And they hire firms like ours um, to deliver those projects. And the the thing I think we're leaving on the table there is, you know, from the perspective of the engineering firm, for example, we have lots of people with great ideas and, you know, want to incorporate different technology and innovation. And, And the public sector rightly is concerned with protecting the public health and generally wants to incorporate proven technology that's been you know, shown to be effective and not take that risk. And at the same time, as a private entity, you know, we have a risk tolerance. So if we could back a bit away from our traditional way of executing projects where you know, typically we would work with a client in advance to conceptualize different ways of doing a project, try to think about innovative approaches to do things more efficiently or, or more cost-effectively, and then, you know, ultimately, sometimes that is incorporated and, and sometimes it's not. Um, if we could move away from that and really focus instead on what outcomes are we trying to achieve? What does the community need? What does the utility need? Is it, you know, removal of a specific compound? Is it provision of a new amount of clean water? Can we get to the point where we're agreeing on what are the outcomes we're trying to achieve and then let the different partners focus on the areas that are consistent with their mission and vision and combine those strengths so that, for example, we're able to, you know, as a private firm, take the risk on integrating an innovative new technology and do something potentially faster, cheaper, more efficiently and reap those benefits. Or if it doesn't pay off, be bound to re-deliver it in a more traditional way so that the utility is getting what they need, which is those outcomes, but we're able to increase the pace of adoption and integration of technology and innovation because right now we need that. The scale of challenges that we're facing really demands that we're able to integrate new approaches 
in a much more robust and a faster way than we've been able to in the past. I, I love that concept uh, because I, I agree with you that too, too often we move in lockstep and we aren't we aren't creative enough in our industry. And and you you identify one of the primary reasons is because the public health you don't want utilities typically don't want to be making big changes when the risk of something going wrong is so significant. How do you, how do you think, cause change is hard. So how, how do we get to the point where before a contract is let, cause once the, once the contract is let, right, it's hard to, to change that, that paradigm. What needs to happen on the front end to get us to the, the position where utilities and other contractors are, are willing to take on this model that you're conceptualizing for us? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think one of the big barriers that we have um, is trust and, you know, trust between the utility, trust between the uh, engineer, the community. Um, We're asking for the ability to flex creativity and take risks on innovation and technology. And if it doesn't pay off, you know, we're warranting that we'll bear the, the burden. But but trust is so fragile in society right now. And, I, you know, I think there's this concept that trust is like a Fabergé egg. And once it's broken, it's not mendable. And I actually really love the work of Frances Fry of Harvard Business School. Um, and she describes trust as having three components. Authenticity, which is really people believing you are who you are or what you say you are. Logic, where, you know, your reasoning and arguments are logical and are able to be followed. And then finally, empathy. So this belief that you have their best interests in mind as well as your own, not necessarily instead of or higher than, but as well as your own. And I think that getting all of those right over time establishes trust and we can get there. But I think we have some challenges in the area, honestly, of empathy. And I just said how fantastic the people in this industry are. And it's not that I don't think we have empathy, but I think we have a barrier of communication that makes it seem as though we may or may not have the best interests of, you know, from an engineering perspective, the utility, or from the community's perspective, you know, maybe not having the their interests at the same level. Um, and I really think, again, it goes back to being able to communicate outcomes in a way that the ultimate end user, be it the utility or the community, cares about and values. So I really do think that this trust component is a critical first step and things that we can do um, around trust. Our first purpose, um, I think organizations, any organization um, can do um, a lot by establishing and being very clear in articulating their purpose and why they exist and what drives them and what their desired outcomes are. So that to some extent gets to that authenticity piece um, so that it's very easy to understand what that organization is about. And of course you can't just say that and not follow up on it um, because again, it's not authentic if you're not, but to the extent organizations really are motivated by environmental and water related positive outcomes, stating that clearly, so that authenticity piece Logic, I think we're all really good at in this in this field, you know, as scientists and engineers, that's our sweet spot. And then again, empathy. So, you know, we love to talk about things like, you know, water main diameter um, and gallons of water and things that are really important to us and are really important, but may not get to the heart of what a community, for example, 
prioritizes. You know, it doesn't get to the health of their children and families. It doesn't get to a thriving environment. It doesn't get to access to recreation. So reframing the benefits and outcomes of what we're doing in a way that our communities can understand, um, I think will go a long way to establishing that platform of trust where we can start to look at different models. So instead of, you know, did you execute this project exactly as our scope was written? It flips to, did you deliver those outcomes that you committed to deliver? Allison, I love that, that, that trust building approach. What can you, what, what, as the, as the CEO, what can you do within your company so that your, your business development folks and quote unquote salespeople are not just out there trying to sell something to the utility. They're rather, they're trying, you can instill that, um, you know, change outcome philosophy that you've described uh, into your, your business development folks so that they have that longer term view and, and more outcome focused view. What can you, do you have, do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. And, and that's a great question because it is a different way of thinking about things. And we really can't expect people to just suddenly start thinking in terms of outcomes when that has just not been, that's not been our education and that's not been how we've approached things historically. So what we can do, you know, what I can do and what other leaders can do is to start talking this way internally. So start thinking about what have we traditionally measured and tracked and how might we evolve from those traditional KPIs or whatever it happens to be to talking about outcomes. And that can be something like instead of talking about um, profits, for example, what are we actually trying to achieve with those profits? So that's just an example of, um, you know, even taking our financial performance and flipping that to outcomes. Our goals instead of X dollars could be, we want to reinvest in our people to this level. We want to provide this level of opportunities to our staff. We want to be able to make this level of contribution to charitable organizations. So thinking about things differently. And then when we talk about the projects that we've completed, we're, very focused on describing that in terms of outcomes as well. So for our, you know, environment and remediation team, it may be acres of um, parkland that's been remediated. Um, It could be, you know, pounds of nitrogen that have been removed from a wastewater supply. Um, So we're doing this internally because it's important for our people to start thinking about things in these terms if we expect them to be able to talk about things in these terms outside of our walls. So instead of approaching a potential project that might be a, a pipe replacement, for example, it it just triggers that thought process around, okay, but what are the outcomes? What are we actually trying to accomplish? And why is this project important? What are those outcomes? So those are switches that you can make internally that help people to just think this way. And once you're thinking this way, it makes it much easier to talk with clients and communities about the benefits and the outcomes that that projects are really providing. Yeah. Do you have some examples maybe of like alternative contract structures or, or, or things of that nature that have, can, can help facilitate this, this kind of new, this paradigm shift you're talking about? Sure. Um, So again, getting back to the concept around technology and innovation and, um, you know, the the perceived risk there. I love the example in Flint, Michigan, 
um, where there was an investment in a machine learning tool, um, which actually achieved a 70% hit rate. So this tool would take in all this data and prioritize um, service lines for replacement. And they had a 70% hit rate, meaning when they dug up the line for replacement, it had led 70% of the time. They didn't have a good way of knowing how to prioritize in this tool, which was non-traditional and you know, typically um, would be hard to get scoped, had this really positive um, outcome. So again, thinking about this, if, you're, if your goal is to find and replace lead service lines and you can let go a little bit of the how you're gonna get there and integrate a different tool, but focus on the outcome, you're able to incorporate this new approach, which has this really high hit rate um, from an outcome perspective. Now, when Flint went back, hired a consultant that went back to a more traditional approach, that hit rate dropped to 15%. So here's an example where traditional approaches and thinking about, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna monitor how we get here, how we do this. We're going to build our traditional asset replacement model. We're going to prioritize based on known factors as we've always done. The outcome was inferior to the outcome that was generated through an innovative approach. So I, I like that example because it, it shows the potential benefit of being able to focus on what are you trying to achieve and let go a little bit of how are we gonna get there um, and achieve a much greater and much more positive outcome. And then another example could be thinking about resource recovery, for example. Um, you know, fats, oil, and grease can be a big, a big issue. So, you know, contracting with um, a public utility, basically investing in technology which exists today, um, which can can recover and sell essentially um, that fats, oil, and grease, which otherwise causes a problem, and then sharing in those savings. So again, the outcome being we need to eliminate fats, oil, and grease. We're going to be open to um, allowing and accepting investment from a private partner and sharing in, in the revenues. So the outcome is achieved and there's actually a revenue stream that's generated because there's an openness to a new way of contracting. Yeah. So I, I found it fascinating when you were discussing Flint that they were getting that 70% hit rate on the, the lead service lines, but then they went away from it. And, re yeah, and reverted to an old, old can you, that, I think that kind of you know, picked some, some questions in my mind. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. It was not a project that we did, but one that I find really interesting. Um, there was investment, I believe on the part of Google, and it was a community-based coalition that developed this machine learning tool. So it was a bit of a grassroots initiative. Um, but then once it became formalized into this major program and there was investment in the major program, then there's this control that goes on it, right? And so the scope is developed in how you're going to execute and it goes to a traditional approach away from the machine learning approach. And that's where you see the, the difference in the outcomes. So um, kind of, a, a I like the example because it does show when you allow that creativity and that innovation, you can enable some very positive outcomes. But if you're holding on tightly to the approach and the how, then you can actually be counter to your own objectives and not achieve the outcomes um, that you're actually driving. That's fascinating stuff. Uh, are, are, are there other benefits to this outcome-based approach in terms of um, uh, you know, employee retention, things like that, that, that will, will benefit 
the both the utility as well as the the contractor in the long term? I think so. Um, with everything we've been experiencing over the past couple of years now, I think we're seeing a, a switch or a, a transformation in our society um, where a lot of organizations are not going to go back to a pre-COVID way of working. We're going to see a lot of hybrid. We're going to see a lot more um, telework in the future. And it's so lends itself to an outcome-based approach. Um, when we think about how we're measuring staff productivity, for example, and they're not in the office, how do you do that besides thinking about the outcomes that you're asking them to produce and the outcomes that you need from those people? And so as we see this more and more, I think it's going to become something that employees expect. Um, they expect that if they're producing the outcomes that they are you know, being asked to produce, that it shouldn't matter where they are, um, that it shouldn't matter um, how they're doing their work. And it's the same concept of let's get very clear on what we're actually asking of people and let's hold them accountable for that and let's provide the feedback. But let's let go a little bit of the where and the how. And so I think absolutely from an employee retention perspective, you know, it, it's a contract. And I think in particular, uh, generations Y and Z are going to really demand this type of approach much more so than we've seen in the past. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, you've, you've, you've seen it firsthand in the engineering sector. I've seen it you know, firsthand in the uh, the legal sector. And so I, th I think you're absolutely right. You've hit the nail on the head there. How about opportunities for collaboration with this approach? Um, wh wh where do you see the future in terms of, of, of that, you know, KPI, for example? I think um, a shift like this is really going to require collaboration at its at its core. Um, a shift to, in the industry towards this type of approach just requires collaboration. I would love um, ultimately to start a roundtable of partners throughout the industry. So be it engineering firms, um, public utilities, NGOs who are committed and interested in driving this. Um, you know, the IPCC report that came out, the scale of challenges that we're facing right now is just such that we really need to be able to develop coalitions and we really need to be able to focus on achieving the most impactful outcomes that we can as an indus industry. And I think the only way that we get there is by working together across coalitions, essentially. You know, there was a time that the federal government would have been a leader in imp implementing projects at just tremendous scale. And we just don't have that vehicle anymore. You know, the funding may be there on some level, um, but we don't see the scale of programs that saw, for example, our existing water system constructed. Um, and I'm not suggesting that what we have today is perfect by any means or that that model was the right one, but I think we have an opportunity to establish an even stronger model that's even more community focused, but still achieves the scale of benefits that we need to combat a crisis as monumental as climate change. So getting back to the premise of why would you even do this in the first place, really the idea is let's take the strengths and the focus of each of the different organizations and let's leverage that and let's exploit that. So, you know, as an engineering firm, my strengths or our strengths and capabilities are not the same as those of one of our, for example, public utility clients. They're equally important 
when we're trying to co combat something as monumental as climate change. Um, so if we can take all of the pieces and parts of our industry from utilities to consulting firms and private sector partners to NGOs and even elected officials, working with our communities and bringing our own strengths to the table, that's what it's gonna take um, to really move the needle on something like climate change and to start to address the issues that we have at the scale that they exist today. So I, I think there's just not really a forum for it right now. And I, I do think we have an opportunity to be leaders in this area and to create something that really can um, help to address some of the really significant challenges facing us right now. Yeah, you, you know, Allison, you've, you indicated that you'd love to get uh, essentially a, a roundtable together. Um, what, what, do you, what do you see that looking like? Is that, is that virtual or have you given any thought to... Cause, cause I think it's a great idea, frankly. And I love, I, I love your out of the box, you know, outside the box thinking there. Um, I have not figured out what the for, format would be. I would assume <laughs> it would be virtual. Um, I think, you know, really, I wouldn't want to limit this geographically and that's, you know, probably what would happen. I, I think it would have to be a bit grassroots to start. Um, I have some ideas around it, but really thinking about what organizations are, are just wired this way. So getting back to authenticity, what organizations have a purpose that aligns with this concept? And then where do we see um, challenges that, you know, are a scale that we think that we could start to, to tackle and just bringing the right partners to the table to talk about what are all the options? You know, what are our strengths? What can we each contribute and how could we structure something where we could combine some of that federal funding, some of the private sector ESG investment funding potentially, um, you know, combining the jurisdictional um, interests of multiple utilities um, and being in the communities working with NGOs to be able to figure out, you know, what outcomes do we really want to achieve? What scale do we really want to tackle? And then, you know, getting to work and bringing all of those partners to bear. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think, I love speaking with you because you, you have a very clear vision for what you want. And I, and it's, it sounds great to me. I'm sign me up. I'm on board. Um, <laughs> great. <laughs> so one of the biggest issues, Allison, that I, that I experience is the politics, right? The, uh, so do you have any, any insights into how to get through the, you know, the, the politics of, these, this outcome-based approach, you know, because I, I, one of my, one of my um, good friends says, you know, I've, I've never met a mayor that wants to be known as the former mayor uh, because they're, <laughs> they're all, they all want to get reelected. And so how do you, how do you get through the politics in order to get this, this new paradigm, this outcome-based approach adopted? Um, yeah. No, it's a, it's a great question. And if I had the perfect answer, then um, I'd probably be retired. But <laughs> the yeah. answer that <laughs> the answer that I will go with, which I, I think is the way, um, is really, again, coming back to understanding the community values and being able to communicate in a way that the community understands what you're trying to accomplish. And it's something that they want. Because at the end of the day, to your point, politicians want to be reelected. And if their constituencies 
are buying what you're selling because you're communicate because first of all, you know what they want to buy um, and you're communicating in a way that they are supportive of what you're trying to accomplish. The politicians are going to love it. Um, so it's really a line. It's helping them look good, essentially. So helping them to deliver what their constituencies want and being that bridge to understanding and communicating the value of what you're doing so that the politicians at the end of the day look good because they are delivering what the community is asking for. So Allison, you've been absolutely terrific. I, I could, I could sit at your feet all day and listen to, uh, to you, you, you talk because I think you just have a great <laughs> demeanor and a great way of expressing the point that you're, you're trying to make. Do you have a, a leave behind message that you might uh, impart with us? Um, sure. I think the message that I would leave behind is I would ask everyone listening to this to give some thought, if you haven't, to your own purpose. So your personal purpose, what drives you um, and and where do you fit in this whole discussion and where does your organization fit? And how can you leverage that purpose within the construct of, of what we're all working in within within the industry to scale your own impact? So where do you fit within, within that organization? How does your purpose align with the greater outcomes we're trying to accomplish as an industry? And then are there ways that you can have an even greater impact than you are today? Because at the end of the day, so many people in this industry are just really driven to do these great things. And it can be hard sometimes to figure out the best way to do that. And I've just found it to be um, really wonderful when you can have that aha moment of, of where your purpose really aligns with the organization that you're working in um, and just really give meaning to what you're doing every day and, and be able to have an impact that you feel really good about and that you can be proud of. Great. Well, Allison, thank you again so much for taking some time out of your day uh, to chat with us. Uh, for those who want to find out more about you and more about Woodard and Curran, where can they go to get that information? www.woodardcurran.com. Short and sweet. Love it. Uh, <laughs> Allison, thank you again so much. And I look forward to speaking with you again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Yes. Thanks, Allison. Bye now. Absolutely tremendous interview given by Allison. She gave clear points, used examples, and her message really resonated with me. And I hope it did with you as well. Thank you, Allison, for shining a light on this fresh outcome-based contracting approach that you uh, identified. Uh, it's uh, much needed in the water sector, and I thank you for, for bringing that to our attention. Well, I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes page uh, for info and links on this episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast. You can click the first link that comes up. It's where we live on the web over at the Bluefield Research site. Again, the Water Values and Bluefield Research are not uh, affiliated companies. We just have a kind of a joint marketing arrangement, and Bluefield Research is kind enough to provide the Water Values podcast with home on the web. So thanks, thanks guys, over at Bluefield Research. Well, you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water Values. You can tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993, and you can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. You can sign up for the newsletter at our homepage, our, our kind of our space on the web there that uh, Bluefield Research provides for us. Just Google again, Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope everyone out there has a terrific Thanksgiving. 
Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for the 2021 season include the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, Can Do, Woodard & Curran, Intera, and Xylem. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. So thank you very much for your support in bringing water thought leadership and water education to the public through the podcast. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.